Hey everyone, it's Colleen and welcome to another new year and a new podcast. If you are joining us through the Ears to Hear podcast, welcome. If you haven't listened to that podcast, then you should. They've got some great content. Since it ended the beginning of this year, Curtis was wanting to continue in bringing gospel and spiritual topics that can help us to stay faithful and founded on Christ in these latter days. So if you have a topic or even a little message you would like to share, please do. You can write in to foundedonchrist at gmail.com. We all would love to hear from you. Just think of that one person whose heart you could touch by sharing your testimony and helping them in the direction of Christ. I wanted to come up with a good topic again before I did another podcast. There are times that I have the spiritual prompting on what direction I should go, and other times I see a barren desert ahead of me with no inspiration. So after a few months, I'm finally feeling like this is a topic that has presented a lot of fruit. I just barely finished the book, Biographical Sketches of the Prophet Joseph Smith, the Prophet, and His Progenitors for Many Generations, written by his mother Lucy Smith. Wow, what a woman. If I could be like her in my courage and strength, I would be mightily blessed. She was a woman that didn't take any slack from anyone, especially in the gospel of Jesus Christ. She told it like it was and put others in their place when need be. The reason I'm bringing this book up is that I am a descendant of the Smith family through Joseph's grandfather, Aziel, which is my sixth great-grandfather. Silas, Joseph's uncle, is my fifth great-grandfather. And then down to me on my dad's side. Why do you need to know this? I thought it was a fun and interesting fact. But going back to the book, it had a letter to Silas written from his nephew Joseph to him about the truthfulness of receiving revelation in these last days. And I wanted to read you the letter. I want you to imagine Joseph speaking these words to you. This was written in Kirtland Mills, Ohio, on September 26, 1833. Respected Uncle Silas, it is with feelings of deep interest for the welfare of mankind which fill my mind on the reflection that all were formed by the hand of him who will call the same to give an impartial account of all their works on that great day to which you and myself in common with them are bound and that I take up my pen and seat myself in an attitude to address a few though imperfect lines to you for your perusal. I have no doubt, but that you will agree with me, that men will be held accountable for the things they have done, and not for the things that they have not done, or that all the light and intelligence communicated to them from their beneficent creator 
whether it is much or little, by the same, they in justice will be judged, and that they are required to yield obedience and improve upon that, and that only which is given, for man is not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Seeing that the Lord has never given the world to understand by anything heretofore revealed that he had ceased forever to speak to his creator, his creatures, when sought unto in a proper manner, why should it be thought a thing incredible that he should be pleased to speak again in those last days for their salvation? Perhaps you may be surprised at this assertion that I should say for the salvation of his creatures in these last days, since we have already in our possession a vast volume of his word, which he has previously given. But you will admit that the words that the word spoken to Noah was not sufficient for Abraham, or it was not required of Abraham to leave the land of his nativity and seek an inheritance in a strange country upon the word spoken to Noah. But for himself he obtained promise at the hand of the Lord, and walked in that perfection that he was called the friend of God. Isaac, the promised seed, was not required to rest his hope alone upon the promises made to his father Abraham, but was privileged with the assurance of his approbation in the sight of heaven by the direct voice of the Lord to him. If one man can live upon the revelations given to another, might I not with propriety ask, why the necessity, then, if the Lord speaking to Isaac as he did, as is recorded in the 26th chapter of Genesis? For the Lord there repeats, or rather promises again, to perform the oath which he had previously sworn to Abraham. And why this repetition to Isaac? Why was not the first promise as sure for Isaac as it was for Abraham? Was not Isaac Abraham's son? And could he not place implicit confidence in the veracity of his father as being a man of God? Perhaps you may say that he was a very peculiar man and different from men in these last days. Consequently, the Lord favored him with blessings, peculiar and different as he was different from men in this age. I admit that he was a peculiar man, and was not only peculiarly blessed, but greatly blessed. But all the peculiarity that I can discover in that man, or all the differences between him and men in this age, is that he was more holy and more perfect before God, and came to him with a purer heart and more faith than men in this day. The same might be said on the subject of Jacob's history. Why was it that the Lord spake to him concerning the same promise after he had made it once to Abraham and renewed it to Isaac? Why could not Jacob rest contented upon the words spoken to his fathers? When the time of the promise drew nigh for the deliverance of the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, why was it necessary that the Lord should begin to speak to them 
The promise or word to Abraham was that his seed should serve in bondage and be afflicted 400 years, and after that they would come out of great substance, out with great substance. Why did they not rely upon this promise? And when they had remained in Egypt in bondage 400 years, come out without waiting further revelations, but act entirely upon the promise given to Abraham that they should come out. Paul said to his Hebrew brethren that God might more abundantly show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. He confirmed it by an oath. He also exhorts them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Notwithstanding, we, said Paul, have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into and within the veil. Yet he has careful he was careful to press upon them the necessity of continuing on until they, as well as those who then inherited the promises, might have the assurance of their salvation confirmed to them by an oath from the mouth of him who could not lie. For that seemed to be the example, anciently, and Paul holds it out to his Hebrew brethren as an object attainable in his day. And why not? I admit that by reading the scriptures of truth, the saints in the days of Paul could learn beyond the power of contradiction that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had the promise of eternal life confirmed to them by an oath of the Lord. But that promise or oath was no assurance to them of their salvation. But they could, by walking in the footsteps, continuing in the faith of their fathers, obtain for themselves an oath for confirmation that they were meet to be partakers of the inheritance which with the saints in light. If the saints in the days of the, of the apostles were privileged to take the saints for example and lay hold of the same promises and attain to the same exalted privileges of knowing that their names were written in the Lamb's book of life and that they were sealed there as a perpetual mem- memorial before the face of the Most High, Will not the same faithfulness, the same purity of heart, and the same faith bring the same assurance of eternal life, and that in the same manner to the children of men now, in this age of the world? I have no doubt that the holy prophets and apostles and saints in ancient days were saved in the kingdom of God. Neither do I doubt, but that they held converse and communion with him while they were in the flesh, as Paul said to his Corinthian brethren, that the Lord Jesus showed himself to above 500 saints at one time after his resurrection. Job said that he knew that his Redeemer lived and that he should see him in the flesh in the latter days. I may believe that Enoch walked with God and by faith was translated. I may believe that Noah was a perfect man in his generation and also walked with God, 
I may believe that Abraham communed with God and conversed with angels. I may believe that Isaac obtained a renewal of the covenant made to Abraham by the direct voice of the Lord. I may believe that Jacob conversed with holy angels and heard the word of his maker, and he wrestled with the angels, with the angel until he prevailed and obtained a blessing. I may believe that Elijah was taken to heaven in a chariot of fire with fiery horses. I may believe that the saints saw the Lord and conversed with him face to face after his resurrection. I may believe that the Hebrew church came to Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. I may believe that they looked into eternity and saw the judge of all, and Jesus the mediator of the new of the new covenant. But will all this purchase an assurance for me and wa- and waft me to the regions of eternal day with my garments spotless, pure, and white? Or must I not rather obtain for myself by my own faith and diligence in keeping the commandments of the Lord an assurance of salvation for myself? And have I not an equal privilege with the ancient saints? And will not the Lord hear my prayers and listen to my cries as soon as he ever did to theirs if I come to him in the manner they did? Or is he a respecter of persons? I must now close this subject for the want of time, and I may, and I may say with propriety at the beginning, we would, be pl- we would be pleased to see you in Kirtland, and more pleased to have you embrace the new covenant. I remain affectionately yours, Joseph Smith, Jr. After reading all that, I know it was a lot, but I felt like all of it was important. Um, where does that put your testimony? Even Joseph, a prophet of God, knew that you needed to have your own witness of the truthfulness of the gospel through revelation. He's telling this to his uncle, a mere man. Joseph is trying to show us that each one of us individually can receive ministering angels, blessings of the Most High like all saints through time, if they but go to the Lord with a broken heart and contrite spirit. We all have the potential in speaking with God and receiving revelation and instruction from Him directly. The seventh article of faith states, We believe in the gift of tongues, prophecy, revelation, visions, healing, interpretation of tongues, and so forth. In Acts 2, 17-19, it reads, And it shall come to pass, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and my and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will shew wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath 
We are blessed to live in these last days when so much prophecy and revelation can be given to us. Do as Joseph instructed. Meet with God face to face. Moses wanted the Israelites to have what he did, yet they chose to not seek God's face and not to be taught from the Almighty. The sorrow Moses must have felt when the Israelites denied the only God who had just delivered them out of the hands of evil men. Let's walk hand in hand with Moses up that mountain and receive our second comforter alongside our prophets and saints alike. That's the only way we'll be able to get through these tribulations. Amen. Amen.